Welcome again to Profiles on Nantucket Community Television. I'm Charlie Walters. Kenny Howard has lived on Nantucket all his life. He's been playing drums for almost all his life. But what you may not realize is that in spite of the fact he's lived here all his life, most of the work he has done as a drummer has been off-island. How has he managed that? Well, he's going to tell us that and much, much more in the next 40 or 45 minutes. Kenny, thank you. Thank you, Charlie. It's great to be here. Uh, let's start at the beginning. When did you start to play drums and how did that happen? I started to play drums. I'm a little bit of a late bloomer in that respect. A lot of the, a lot of the, the people that I've, I've grown up to love as drummers, they all started five years old, six years old. I didn't start till I was probably 16. And, and, and you had no thought before then to do it? No, it was, it was, really, it was really strange. I, I didn't really have any connection to music other than most people in the world who love music. Most people love music, but they don't really feel like they want to participate in it. I, all of a sudden, one day just said, I, I want to do that. I want to do a little bit more than just love music. I want to actually be a part of it. And so that's, it. but it started late. It started when I was about 16 years old. So there was no eureka moment when you yeah. decided it's what you wanted to do. I don't know if I would call it a eureka moment or I'm frightened moment. Because, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, when I had first started to really enjoy music and, and like music, I had no, I had no idea that I was going to try to play it or participate in it. And then one day <clears throat> when I was in high school, a friend of mine and myself were walking across the gymnasium. The, the, the band was all set up to do, um, you know, to do a performance that afternoon for the student body. And we were walking out of the locker room, kind of going towards the lobby. And there was a drum set there with a pair of sticks on it. You know, and a buddy of mine says, look at that, huh? And I says, I know how to play that. And he says, no, you don't know how to Even play that. Even though you never played drums never before. Played, never played a drum set before in my life. And I said, I, something was telling me that I knew how to play that drum set. And I was like, well, he said, there's the sticks. See what you can do. Went, okay. So I sat down and actually played. I mean, I sat down, the hands went in the right spots, everything just started to happen. And I played a beat and I got a little freaked out. And I said, I don't know what just went on there. So I put the sticks down and just left. And it was probably another year or two before I actually said, you know what, I got to try that. I got to try it. I got to be part of this. I mean, I love music so much. I have to be part of this, this whole process of making it. It's like the, the next step, you know? So it sounds like you're a natural, but you didn't know it. I didn't know it. Until you were way up in your teens. I didn't, I didn't know it. And a lot of people say that there's natural abilities. Um, some people say there aren't. Some people say there are. But I, I can tell you that I, I had no idea how to do that. And then I walked past that drum set and my friend egged me on. I sat down and actually played and said, wow, there, there's, there's something to this. And after that, it's just been a, a, long, a long adventure of learning, you know. So when you first started to play drums, what kind of music were you playing? I was playing a lot of the stuff that you would hear. At the time, stuff that you would hear on the radio, like there was a lot of Aerosmith. There was a lot of Aretha Franklin. There was a lot of, um, there was Motown. There was rock and roll. I was playing everything I could get my ears on, so to speak, just because, you know, when I started playing, I just became such a, you know, such a student. I wanted to know everything. You know, I just, I had to know it all. And you were in love with the instrument, instruments, I should say, rather than a, a particular kind of music, in other words. Yeah, I, I, I loved the way that the instrument fit in the different genres of music. I think one of the things I started to notice right away was the, the different styles of music, the different approaches that the drummers took. I mean, not that I could do any of it, because I mean, I couldn't. I was still brand new and flailing away and throwing my hands in the air and just going crazy. I mean, there was no, there was no YouTube, there was no internet back then. So everything you learned, you had to learn by listening and applying and trying to learn and figure out what you were going to do, because there was no lessons on the island either. There were no teachers. This is what, 1980 thereabouts? It probably been, would have been uh, around 82. Okay. Yeah. So when did you play in your first band? Uh, 83. <laughs> and who was in the band? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, you know, I started to play and, and, and you know, it, 
different guys kind of took notice. And next thing you know, we were we were at one of the local nightclubs playing, and just uh, it was I'm trying to remember who was in that band. Um, I think Jeff Folger was in that band. Yeah, um, who was still here playing? Yeah, Henry Sutro. Yeah, I remember um, Henry. Yeah, Riley Hayford. Yeah, um, and Marsha Hempel. Wow. Yeah. Which was, that was crazy, but it was just a little blues band that would go out and play. And I mean, I really didn't have any idea what I was doing yet. I was just so happy to be there. I couldn't believe it. You know? Now, were you old enough to be in those no. places? Where no. <laughs> that, that's a all. very common thing, actually. Uh, yes, and I, I actually have been carded in the past. And, you know, I told the man at the door, you know, he says, oh, now you got to show an ID. And I says, well, I'm, I'm not old enough. He goes, well, then you're not coming in. I said, but I'm in the band. He goes, Really? I don't hear that often. You've heard that one before, right? So, but finally, you know, I just sat there and I said, okay, no problem. And the band would say, will you get up here? You got to get up here now. And I said, see, pal, I got to (laughs) go. So, yeah, I I think I was, yeah, I was, I was pretty young when I was playing. Now, at this point, are you playing what I would call a standard drum kit? Yes. Which consists of, in this case? Uh, When I first started, I think it was a five-piece set, which would be a snare, two racks, floor tom. A ride cymbal, a couple of crash cymbals, and a set of hi hats. That was it. No frills. Sort of the lay person, they wouldn't see any, wouldn't have seen anything unusual. No, no. I and I did the the thing that most young guys do. You know, I tried to surround myself with drums, like the the Keith Moon thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's funny because when you start carrying those drums around, the drum sets get smaller. You know, when you're when you're setting them up. You know, if other people are setting them up. You know, the sky's the limit. But when you do it yourself, they're a, they're a lot smaller. My drum sets now are really small. Yeah, and tell us why that is. <laughs> well, why the, the smaller drum sets? Well, why why would you set up something different from somebody else? What somebody else would do? That's all personal preference. That's all right. you know. That's whatever you know you're into at the time. Whatever you're trying to achieve musically, um, your your drum set will definitely. You know, we'll definitely show what you're doing, you know, what, whatever kind of music you're playing. So for how many years were you doing that sort of thing with the musicians you just mentioned and some of you probably didn't mention? Oh, I, I still do it. I, I still take the opportunities to play here whenever I can. And, and a lot of times I, I still play with Jeff. Um, there's a lot of local guys I play with. But at what point did you start playing off island and how did that happen? Well, that happened later on. Um, that happened as the the thirst to want to play more and play in more challenging situations and different settings and kind of, um, I wanted to record. I, I didn't have a lot of recording experience and I wanted to kind of immerse myself into that and and really see if I had what it takes, you know, to do it. So that's, that's what I did. And um, I started just meeting guys the old fashioned way, you know, Village Voice and and uh, the Phoenix and those kind of... What, you were putting ads in these... Uh, I was answering ads. Drummer wanted. And I would answer an ad and, and call him up and go down and, and, you know, go play in Boston, go play in New York. And for the younger people, the Village Voice and the Boston <laughs> Phoenix were so-called alternative newspapers. I guess the Village Voice uh, died and then came back recently. But yeah. these were alternative newspapers back when... People actually went to a newsstand and bought newspapers. <laughs> and read them. Anyway. <laughs> and, read and read them. them yeah. And read them. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so much for that tangent. Continue, please. Uh, so that's that's basically what I would do. And I, I met some friends that that still, you know, we still remain close and we still play a lot, you know, during those kind of um, phone call things and audition type situations. When I started to um, get a chance to play a session with an artist and you know you meet the guys you play the session with and you hit it off and it becomes like a network you know they we all split up but then some of these guys will work in a different studio and and they'll say hey we need a drummer and they'll say hey call this guy so it was it was still and i think it still remains word of mouth well when you were first answering these ads how did they know that you knew how to play the drums this is before youtube and so on and so they were audition based you know, so where would you go to do that? Uh, re- rehearsal studios in the cities. They'd have like seven or eight, 10 or 12 drummers. 
So you had to lug all your stuff down no, there? No, no. Most of the rehearsal studios have equipment on hand, and, that, and that's okay for you to use? You can use yeah. somebody else's kit. Yeah, because you can, you can just adjust it to, to the mm -hmm. way you like it and then play. Okay. A lot of studios do the same thing. They have, they have equipment that they're familiar with that they've recorded hundreds of times, and you're showing up to do three or four songs. They're like, can you use this set? We're ready. Mm -hmm. And you just say, sure. It's not like a guitar player who insists on having his own guitar or guitars. I, it, that may be different for them, the yeah. setups and the way they feel yeah. and all that. But I mean, for us, when you go into a studio, it, you know, those, those drum sets are good. They're real good. They're as good as anything I would play. Really? Yeah. So you go in there and they, they've got the experience with them. The sizes don't really change. I, um, I simplified my setup quite a bit to make it a lot easier to adapt with many different situations. Like I don't have a specialized drum set. You know, I have <clears throat> the basic sizes and all I have is a, a bass drum, you know, one rack tom, one or two floor toms. So it's a real, it, it's a real basic setup. So tell us about your first few engagements as a result of answering ads. Well, they, you know that you go down there and you basically, you know, sit in a room and wait your turn and you go in and you play. And usually it's to try to, to try to get into a, a small band in the area, you know, so you can play. I mean, I never told him I was from Nantucket. You know, I just showed up. Well, I just showed up because you figured the moment <laughs> you say that, they, they don't, you know, they're like, well, how are you going to travel? You know, the first thing, they, yeah. how are you going to get here? You know, and then so, plus, I mean, I think the guys really want guys in their area too. Oh. It makes it a lot easier for everybody, you know, so. But I would go down there and I would... Um, learn the material if they gave me something, you know, to learn ahead of time, or a lot of times you go in cold and you just play whatever starts happening. But you, you go down there, you walk into the studio and you sit down, you play with those guys and you hope that there's musical chemistry, but you also hope there's personal chemistry too. You hope that everybody gets along and, and that kind of stuff. And I didn't really have any problems with that. You know, I always seem to get along okay with everybody and I, I can keep up playing, so. Now, were these bands that didn't have a drummer, or was this a, a, a singer who was trying to put together a bunch of musicians sure, behind both. himself? Yeah, both. That, that happens a lot. There'd be a, a singer, a musical director, and then a band would, you know, we'd all walk in and play. Yeah. And you might be there for, what, a day or a week, or it could be no, any amount of time. It could be any amount of time. I, I think most times for something like that is usually... I mean, I've done it a couple of ways. I've, I've gone in and played three songs, and I've also gone to those things and played 36 songs. Huh. You know, so it, it, it varies. It depends on what the job is and that sort of thing. But that's how you make the friends, and then, you know, one of them will be, he'll have a gig, he'll need you, or he'll have a, a doing a single, and he wants to use you. And, you know, you stay in touch with those guys. Now, when an album comes out, or a 45 in those days, um, were you credited? Did people know yeah. that Kenny Howard, would the public know that Kenny Howard had played the drums if, yeah, on that if I Yeah, if I played on it, yeah. And when they call you up to go down there for however long it is, um, obviously you've got to get yourself there right. by hook or crook, which yep. is a challenge from Nantucket, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But um, who pays your way? Who pays for your hotel room? It depends on the budget. You know, if there's a, if there's a decent budget, you can get travel, accommodations, and a per diem. When you you know when you're down in the studio and plus the session rate per song, but a lot of times you get some but not all. And if it's a great project, I have no problems getting myself there. And how soon do you get paid? Uh, that's it. It varies. It varies. You can get paid that day, or it can. It depends if if. The artist is actually trying there and doing the record themselves. You could, you could, they could cut you a check right there. Hmm. But usually two weeks, maybe a month. Now, were there circumstances where it was made known to you that they would like you to stay anonymous? Uh, yeah. Okay, so I, I won't ask you who that was, but I will, <laughs> I will ask you. Um, uh, tell us some of the people you were playing with. Um. Whether they're household names or not. Yeah, well, there's, there's the Jimmy Whip project, which was out of New Jersey. And that, that's, um, Jimmy's a really good friend of mine after all the years of playing together. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, that's the guy that 
you know, he's, he's a great guitar player, great singer, great entertainer. And we still stay in touch on a regular basis. Um, and we, you know, we, we go back and forth playing. What kind of music is he playing? That's very heavy rock. Yeah. Heavy meaning very loud. Very loud. Okay. Can be very fast. You know? And what, what sorts of uh, uh, settings is, does this band play? I mean, stadiums, clubs? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Stadiums, clubs, uh, the bigger venues, the louder venues. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, we did a we did a, a, a debut CD a number of years ago that, that was really a lot of fun. And there was um, Jimmy, myself, and Tony Franklin from the firm played on that. So that was a lot of, that was a good album. I enjoy listening to it. And who else? Um, I've played, I played with the Pousset Dart band, like I told you. Um, yeah, John Pousset Dart, yeah. who... Uh, I believe has relatives on Nantucket, and he's played on Nantucket. Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That's a great mm -hmm. band. Um, and then I'm just a lot of a lot of like artists, um, just a lot of solo artists playing in the studio, and the names just escape me. A lot of demonstration tapes, I'm guessing. I did a lot of demo work. Uh -huh. um, usually, that's the step before the record deal. Yes, you know, back in the day, I don't even know what a record deal is anymore. <laughs> I don't think many people do with this one. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. But yeah, I did a lot of, I did a lot of demo work, kind of worked my way up, um, you know, playing, doing the gigs and playing live and playing for free and getting paid and then um, playing demo work in the studio. You know, started doing four tracks in people's living rooms and then moving into studios and playing demo work and then subsidized demo work. And then next thing you know, you get a, a call to actually go in there and do it, or the demo work you did will be held for the record. So you're going back and forth between Nantucket and New York. And Boston. And Boston. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of moving around, and I'm assuming you didn't always know how long you were going to be gone. You have a, you have a pretty good idea just by the workload. Like you can tell if, if you're going to do, you know, 10 songs or 12 songs, you know you're going to be there for a couple of days, you know, provided everything goes well. But you always have to remember that if things don't go well, if there's technical problems, if there's rewrites, if there's anything going on that would slow the process down, you could be there for three days. But, you know, time is of the essence. You know, that you got to get in and get out. Get it done and get out of there. Now, when you went into a studio and there's already a kit there, um, you can adjust it to your own needs. But at the same time, I'm wondering, how much autonomy do you really have? If you want to do something one way and the producer says, no, 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 no. It would vary from producer to producer, but give us some examples. When you go in there, one of the things that really drew me to studio work was I, I loved the idea of being the first person to, to actually play on that song. Oh, this is going to be my idea. You know, I, that, that kind of just, and rather than copying people and cover bands, it really appealed to me to be the first guy to play on this. So this is going to be an idea that I came up with, and, and I'm really excited to do this. And when you go in, you basically have an idea of what the artist wants, just because you've probably heard a demo of what they've done, and you listen to it, and you realize what you're going to do. You go and set the, the drums are set up, or you set them up. They mic them up. You sound check them, and then you sit down and you just start. You just do a take. There's a little bit of chit chat beforehand, where the artist will say, "Well, this is kind." They try to describe it in their terms. <clears throat> you know, they say that that they're kind of looking for this vibe, like a Ricky Lee Jones vibe that goes into a, you know, a Steely Dan type thing. And so you kind of know by knowing the music what they're talking about. So. Click track comes in, off you go. And basically when they call you, they say, I've, I've heard you enough that I know you can do what we want, so I trust you. And then you go in and you put it down. People will be surprised, or some people will be surprised to hear how many microphones are set up just oh, to record yeah. one drum kit. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that. Well, the Glenn Johns method of the 70s. Glenn Johns being a <laughs> famous producer of... The Beatles, etc. Yeah. His uh, his three and mic and five mic techniques. Whew, hadn't seen that one yet. But when you go into the studio, uh, I can play a four piece drum set, and there can be upwards of sixteen microphones. 
Why so many? Capturing every nuance of the drum set. Brand new, whole different discipline. Now, where might those 16 be? I mean, the, how many would be set up to pick up the bass drum, for example? Uh, there, can be, there can be three on the bass drum. There can be one inside. There can be one just outside. There can be a, a subwoofer unit in front of it to capture more of the low end. The snare drum can have two, one on top, one on bottom, floor tom, top and bottom. And then hi-hat, ride cymbal, overheads, room mics, they're everywhere. Now, this is in a professional studio, but if you're in your garage or your living room or whatever. Three to five will do. Okay. Three to five will do this. Not the same job, but it'll do a good job. Do you have a preference? Uh, I don't. Whatever, whatever makes the drums sound the best, however they're, they're, they're being captured the best, is I'm... And if it's, if it's three mics, if it's five mics, if it's 16 or 30, it doesn't matter to me as long as it's doing the exact job it's supposed to do. And of course, the equipment affects that. And yeah. you're going to find different drum kits in different studios and so sure. on. The good thing is, though, is most of the studios have tried and true drum sets. They'll have three, four, maybe sometimes five or six drum sets of different sizes. And my sizes aren't out of the ordinary. So it's pretty easy for me to walk up and just say, hey, what's the last one you used? And they say, well, we used that, that set over there. And I'll look at it and be like, yeah, good enough. Set it up. As long as they're all in the spots that I'm used to, mm -hmm. it's fine. When a producer or whoever calls you up and says, I need you here this day at this time, have they always heard what you've done, or are they relying on other people from time I, to time? I, th I think um, I think they have. I think a lot of times, a lot of times they've heard whether it's YouTube, um, something on my Facebook site, or or something that a friend sent them, you know, or a client sent them. And a lot of sometimes, you know, the the artist will say, "Well, that's that's the guy I want," and they're like, "Fine," because the producer wants the artist to be happy, and they want the best for the artist. A long, long time ago, you were in my store, so we're probably talking 25 or 30 years ago, when you were, you'd already started doing this commuting back and forth, and you told me a story about running into Joe Jackson. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. Joe Jackson at the time was very, very popular. He's still around, but he's not as popular now as he was then. But tell that story. I, I was in Midtown at a rehearsal studio uh, called Euphoria. And I, I was there to play with a band, and we were in Studio B rehearsal setup. And I think it was at the time Joe Jackson was doing a, a pretty big tour. And he was in rehearsal room A, you know, or one, or whatever. He was in the big room, and we were in the medium room, and then, of course, there's other rooms down the hall. And I didn't know, of course, I didn't know they were there. I, you know, I, how could I know? But I just went in early, like I normally do, and I sat down and just kind of, you know, read some stuff and guy came in, sat down next to me and we just kind of started talking and just shooting the breeze. Nice guy. And then, uh, you know, he says, well, listen, I got to go. It was nice talking to you. I'm Joe Jackson, by the way. <laughs> and I said, and I'm not. <laughs> so it was nice. And so we, we also had the added, the, the added cool factor of when we were done rehearsing, we could go out and actually listen to them rehearse huh. in the other room. It was, uh, it was great. And of course, different musicians have different ways of rehearsing. Yeah, to say the least. Yeah, I um, I rehearse a lot. I practice. Um, I practice all the time. When this, when this whole thing started, it was fun, and it was you know going out to the to the clubs and playing in front of your friends and having a great time. Jump on the boat, go play a gig somewhere else, and it was a lot of fun. But then it became. It became like more encompassing. You wanted to, you actually wanted to learn more. As I got older, I wanted to learn more, and I wanted, I wanted more from myself on the instrument. You know, not not so much you know bigger gigs and better pay. I, I wanted to be a better player, better all around player. I wanted to play different styles of music effectively and well and flawlessly, and it just kind of opened the Pandora's box to learning and realizing that no matter how many hours I put in. No, no matter how many days in a row I play, no matter how many gigs I play, never going to know it all. But to me, that's kind of fun because every day is a new day. You, you learn something new every single day you play. Well, popular music 
is always, almost by definition, it's a moving target. Yeah. What's popular this year is not going to be popular three or four years from now. Right. But you're going to be called on to play something different from year to year or yeah. from month to month in some cases. Sure. That's a real challenge. It is. Uh, but it also goes along with being in love with music. You know, because there's a lot of artists that are out there playing right now that that I, I actually don't mind it. I listen to it. And by listening to it, you can kind of hear the, you know, through beat recognition, you're like, oh, I know what he's doing there. Oh, I get that. Okay. So if somebody calls me, you kind of slide right into it and you know what to play and how to play. I mean, there's certain, there's certain things that you do. Um, you don't try to blast the drum solo and show them everything you know, because they don't want to know everything. They don't want to see everything you know. They want you to do the job. And whether the music, I guess you could say, was from the 50s or today, the job's kind of the same. Well, you're there as a timekeeper, but that's not all you're there for. So you're trying to bridge two somewhat different things. Is, right. it, is it fair to say that? Yeah. Yeah. I think essentially people look at drummers as timekeepers only, but there's a lot that goes into keeping the time. And so it, it, it actually comes down to how do you make the music feel as well. You know, you can sit down and play every single note perfectly like that, and it just doesn't have a great feel to it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that drummer's character and personality comes out in the beats that he plays and how he plays them, and it'll give the song a character. It'll give it a groove. Now, we all know what sheet music looks like, whether, we're, whether we can read it or not, we know what it looks like. But there's also sheet music for drums, yes. which I think most people aren't aware of, but... Talk about that. Um, the sheet music for drums, you know, is the regular five-line staff. Um, and it has, instead of having the, the notes that a piano player would read, the notes are actually different parts of the drums. Of The, the lines are different parts of the drum set. Mm -hmm. And so it's set up. I am a terrible reader. I'm a, I am so slow that if somebody puts it, oh, brutal. But you can do it. I haven't, I got pretty good for a while, but then I didn't do very much of it because I'm not very good. I'm not very, like, not a great sight reader. So it's not necessary to be skilled? At, I mean, if I hear something on the radio, does that drummer, can he, can he or she read drum music? Maybe, maybe not. Really? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times... Um, you know, the, I, it was explained to me that there's two kinds of players. There's sight readers and sight listeners. I mean, the sight readers are incredible. You know, they just walk right in there and lay that sheet out, and they play the whole thing, and it's flawless, and it's absolutely beautiful. I would sit there and say, what, is, what does that mean again? I don't remember what that means, you know? And to me, it was always sight listener. Because rather than going the proper route of being taught the, the very basics, I just learned how to play and jumped right out and played. I should have took the time to read. I wished I, I wished I read better than I do. But it hasn't harmed your career. No. Not knowing it. No. You have to, most guys that go into the studio, they, they can pick up, uh, you know, they, they know the arrangement. They can pick up what the song is going to do. Um, sometimes they let you hear it and they say, okay, and they stop in the middle and they're like, and it just choruses out. You, you know what it'll, it'll sound like. Okay. And everything is always in its sections and pieces. You know, it's not, there's not a lot of things that you're super surprised about when you go in. You know, you've had either time beforehand to hear it, or if you haven't and you sit down to play it, they say, this is what it sounds like. And they'll play a couple of bars of it live in front of you. And you just kind of go, oh, okay. All right. And we're going to go intro, verse, you know, turn around, verse, chorus. Okay. So in some cases, you don't know until you're actually in the room. Yeah. In other cases, they'll send you a file or a CD or whatever ahead of time. Sure. Yeah, it can go either way. A lot of things, and when you get there, a lot of things get rewritten on the spot. You know, so you, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you, you walk in there and, if, you know, a particular part of the song, you know, isn't working out. So you're like, oh, okay. And so they say, we want to change this. We want to add, we want to either add a bridge, add a turnaround, a segue. We want to add something right here. And they'll, we'll mess around with it. We'll play it a little bit, and then we'll run the song. Um, how often do you make a suggestion for anybody, any of the backing musicians? Is that a no-no or? No. I, you know, in the, 
in the studios, I, I think everybody is everybody's <clears throat> willing to hear ideas because everybody's in there with the sole purpose of trying to make the best music they can make. And if you've got an idea, they want to hear it. What, good or bad, whether they use it or not, they want to hear it. It's not until you get into situations. I've, I have been in situations where they've said, here's a song, play it. Okay. You play it, you're done, you go home, you're all set. But I have played in times where I said, hey, you know what? From an arrangement standpoint, can we, can we knock off a couple of bars, you know, because this is getting way too long, because drummers have a great feel about when the song should change, <laughs> you know? We just kind of feel like, wow, we've been stuck here a long time. We, we gotta change this up. And so it works out. But they do, they, they, they'll listen. If you've got a good idea, good input, they'll listen to you. But in the end, it's not your decision. No. It's you know, the artist, the producer, both. Yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, if you have a great idea for one little part to turn around, you're not going to get songwriting credit because it's part of the game. Um, are you a composer? I mean, I, n not in the sense of a composer, you know, with the piano or the orchestra. I mean, I, I can write drum parts, mm -hmm. you know. What about musical parts? No. I, not, I shouldn't say musical. What about, do you play guitar? Do you play piano? I play guitar. I play a little bit of piano. I can get an idea across. Uh -huh. If there's something, you know, that, that I want somebody to hear, I can, I can usually sit down in my studio and play it and get the basic ideas and then send it along to the guys that really do that work well. How's your singing? Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. I mean, I think it's great, but I don't think anybody else does. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just the way it goes. Now, I've lent myself to backups before. I've, I've done some backup singing. As a lead mm -hmm. singer, no. Uh, how often do you get called on to overdub a tambourine or something like that? Is that, is that a common thing in your no, case? No. Um, I don't really get that a lot. Um, sometimes that'll happen in session when you're all done and they say, teach you yeah. there's something. But... Pretty much most musicians that I know, if not all of them, could put a, if I'm done and I've already left and they can do that, they can overdub that, you know, the tambourine part or the cowbell part, something like that. Yeah. If it's something that happens during the session, I'll, we'll do it. But usually if it happens after, I'm usually pretty surprised to hear it too, because I wasn't there. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's good. It's all good. I just remember doing that. Yeah. Wow. How did I do that? You've done a lot of endorsements. Tell us how that works. Uh, yeah, I, I endorse um, a lot of products, you know, in the drum world. I, I endorse pork pie drums, uh, media cymbals. I endorse Aquarian drum heads, Los Cabos drumsticks, Grover Pro percussion. Uh, I also in, have endorsement deals, and I endorse um, the Sweet Spots, which is a drum muffling system, a dampening system. And also TNR, uh, TNR products, which is the uh, they used to make a product called booty shakers, which was kind of a kind of a cool thing. Basically, all it was a, a like a resonant piece for your snare drum basket, so your snare drum didn't hit hard plastic. It was sitting like this oh. foam rubber, mm -hmm. and it, it, it's I think it's called Groove Share now. That's what they call it. But I've I've been with those companies for years. Just before we started taping, you gave me something I didn't know existed. Kenny Howard autographed drumsticks. Well, I figured... How, how did that come to be and where can well, people get them? Well, I had I figured that I had come and gotten drum, so many drumsticks from you over the years, I <laughs> had to start paying you back somehow, you know? Uh, that came through uh, Los Cabos drumsticks. There was a... Uh, I used to be with a different company, and then when I moved over to Los Cabos, you know, we basically talked and 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 thought about you know, the, the drumsticks I wanted. I ordered a bunch of drumsticks from them before we actually did anything together and I used them. And I actually found a pair of their sticks that felt the best to me. And luckily for me, it, it's a drumstick that they offer. So I said, hey, I really love that. You know, That's a great drumstick. And so we started talking and they said, hey, well, you know, why don't you come on board? I said, okay, that's great. You know, I said, whatever the criteria is, let me know. And then they give you the whole list of things you're supposed to do and not do, and lo and behold, the stick was born. Now, are you paid for endorsements, or how does that work? 
No, um, those are pretty rare these days. I mean, you know, the, the, the margins are a lot tighter, I'm told, now than, they, than they've ever been. Um, so what usually happens with an, an endorsement deal uh, is you get money, you, you get quite a percentage off. Like you don't, you don't pay full price for your equipment. You can, mm-hmm. you can pay up to 70% off. So that's helpful. You know, that's that, say so. Yeah, and that's great. And I don't, you know, I don't endorse anything that I don't use. I mean, everything that, that I have an endorsement deal with, I use every day. And I, you know, they're, they're great products. And, and I have definitely put them through their rigors. And they are just incredible. And great guys, too. Now, one other thing you have done uh, is what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Interviewing musicians. Yeah. Uh, where have you done that? I, I got the opportunity a number of years ago to, um, to do some interviews for, for a, a company called Drum Talk TV. Um, they're an internet-based, drummers-only type website where they feature all kinds of different drummers and, and they have all kinds of programming on about drummers and to help drummers. It's a, it's a great organization. And they were doing a, a John Bonham tribute night called the Bonzo Bash. The drummer from Led Zeppelin. Yes, and a heavily influence of mine. Heavy influence. And so they, we just got to know each other because he did an interview on, on me, and then he asked me if I would do that. And I said, yeah, that sounds like fun, so off we go, we're going to New Jersey. And so we went down to the Bergen Center for the Performing Arts, and I got to just ask all of the drummers that were participating in the show different questions about John Bonham and, you know, and it was really a, it was, it was different. It was strange to be on the other side, you know, and not, you know, to not be the guy getting interviewed. And I've done that once before I did that for, um, um, for the drumstick company. Mm-hmm. I did a, I did a little interview for that. And so I did a couple of other things. I did a little bit of radio for behind the kit. I was asked by the the host to join in via telephone to you know ask these particular drummers questions and it, w- it was a lot of fun i far prefer playing you know but it's it's also fun to talk with those other guys and kind of pick their brain about stuff so it was it was a good experience now in addition to john bonham who were the other drummers some other drummers that you particularly admire oh wow um we were just talking about this before too uh, Papa Joe Jones, uh, Big Sid Catlett, Chick Webb, um, Gene Krupa, Buddy Rich, uh, John Bonham, Stuart Copeland, Whew. on and on and on. Now, yeah, now most of the drummers you named are from the big band era. They, a lot they, of they were playing and recording before you were born. A lot of before I was born. A lot of big band drummers. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, Tony Williams. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the guys, these, these guys were all, you know, they were changing the game. You know, when these guys were coming along, I mean, everything was so esoteric and everything was so straight down the middle. And then somebody like Tony Williams starts playing and you go, wait a minute. Gene Krupa brought the drums out front. You know, before that, they were always in the back of the orchestra. And the next thing you know, this guy's going out there playing caravan and, and all these crazy songs and he's out front. And Buddy Rich kept him out front. and. To this day, here we are, still influenced by them. Uh, what about contemporary drummers, younger, uh, younger drummers? There's so many great drummers out there. That, um, you know, and I, I, I would hate to leave anybody off the list, but a lot of the guys that I that I listen to now would be like Benny Greb. Um, wow, I'm just trying to think of them. There's so many of them. Um, now, in his case, what kind of music does he play? Uh, he plays... He's kind of a jazz player, kind of a funk player, kind of he's kind of an everything guy. He's a real think thinking drummer, you know. He's really trying, he's redefining a lot of the teaching methods. And he does some really incredible videos, you know, uh, demonstration videos, and he does he does a lot of great work. Um, there's a lot of great players out there, Charlie. And, and unfortunately, a lot of them I don't know who they are. I don't know their names, oh. but I listen to them and I go, wow, that's that's pretty there's so much information coming at us now. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, we used to we used to run down to your store when our favorite band came <laughs> came up with a 
album and we'd Charlie, do you have it? And you'd be like, yeah, it's right over there. And those, <laughs> those were the days, but now, you know, now it's, you, you know, I get emails and text messages all the time. Friends of mine saying, you got to hear this guy and I'll pop it on my phone. And it's a guy I've never heard before. And I go, Whoa, yeah. who was that guy? Yeah. You know? And then three minutes later, it'd be another one. I'm like, who's this guy? You know, and then after yeah. about the fifth time of doing that, I'm like ready to retire. All right, I'm out. You know, well, they're the incredible. music that Spotify gets every day, never mind every month or every year. I mean, it's, you can spend your whole life listening to new material on Spotify and never hear, never hear a fraction all. of it. No, never hear it all. And yet, you know, my iTunes is full of, um, it's full of stuff from the 40s. It's, oh, well, it's everything. I mean, it's all there at your fingertips. It, yeah, but, it's, it's but, unbelievable. I, but my particular iTunes is is really old-fashioned. It's like the 40s, and then there's some 60s, a lot of 70s. And, you know, but that's what I kind of gravitate towards, you know. But we hear the new stuff that's out there now, and these guys out here now are incredible musicians, absolutely incredible. And the stuff they're, they're putting out is just game-changing. You know, I... I I love every minute of it. I love hearing the new stuff. I, like I said, I, I'm, sadly, I don't know who the player is, but wow, incredible. The bands are incredible. I think mu musician-wise, I think we're in good shape. Well, that's good to hear because you, you hear and, and read in a lot of cases that pop culture in general, and maybe music especially, is in kind of a valley. So to hear what you're saying, that's, that's very encouraging to hear. The, the underbody of what's going on is very promising. I mean, there's a lot of guys in the in the drum community that are woodshedding right now, and they sound incredible. And this this can't go on forever. This valley, and yeah. when these guys start popping up to the surface, I mean, they're going to be household names. There, there's a lot of great players out there, um, and it's probably one of the big reasons, other than loving the instruments, one of the big reasons why I'm always practicing. <laughs> Because these guys are good, you know. So you gotta gotta stay on your game. So how does one hear them? I usually are, are there websites you would suggest people go to? You know, just um, I would probably stick with with a YouTube. Um, YouTube always seems to be the best. Um, a lot of times, a lot of stuff will show up on Facebook, but it's generally YouTube. Mm -hmm. But uh, YouTube's got a lot of great players. I mean, you can dial in players from the past, players from today, and you can see some really great stuff. And it's it's right there for your consumption. I mean, load up, watch it all. And I do. I watch a lot of players. Now, you said when you were growing up here and learning to play the drums, there was no one to teach you. Do you teach? You know, decades later, are you teaching people? Um, I have one student. Mm -hmm. One. And the whole reason was is I I didn't really have I didn't really have the desire to teach because I really didn't I keep feeling like I'm learning so much that I, I don't really feel like I could help anybody because I'm still kind of a work. I'm still doing my thing and trying to figure things out. But you know, this this um young guy approached me and asked for some help and I said, you know what, I'm gonna try this. <laughs> it's worked out really well. He's he's really he's really turning into a a really good drummer. You know? I'm happy I'm happy he sticks with it. He's like me. He bought in full time. This is a full time this is not a a teenager who is Oh no, it it's a teenager, but he bought into the whole drum thing full on, okay. full time. He he okay. loves it. He's like me. I mean it's if it's if it's drums, I'm on it. I'm all over it. You know, I love it. In the time we have left, if somebody wants to hear you, um, how do they do that? Where can they, where can they hear you? Well, I mean, I've I've got a, um, I've got a YouTube channel they can go to, which is just Kenny Howard, punch it in and drums after it, and I'll pop up. Uh, my Facebook site, which is Kenny Howard. Yes, <laughs> I'm reinventing the wheel on that one, am I? <laughs> and I usually. Um, I've got quite a few things on iTunes that I played on that, that have kind of popped up. Now, would that include some of the things you were doing 30 or 40 years ago? No, nothing like that showing up, uh -huh. which is probably good. I don't know if I'd want to hear that. 
I, I like I like what I'm doing now better than back then. Well, I'm assuming if somebody was paying you to do something, it's got to be good, or they wouldn't have called on you to do it. I would hope so. In other words, don't be modest. Oh no, <laughs> I am humble. <laughs> Just ask me. So how? Um, I mean, you, you've been playing professionally for well, thirty to forty years. Um, how much of that thirty or forty years can somebody find somewhere? either on YouTube or whatever it happens to be? I don't, you know, I'm just not 100. I know it's around, but I'm, I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure how much of that actually lived, you know, so I, I, don't, I don't really know. But, I mean, I'm there. I'm out there and I'm on there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I haven't even looked up, so. <laughs> well, obviously, your website is a good place to start. Yeah, those sites are good. Um, that's, that's where you'll probably see the, the, the better part of what I did. And what is next? What are you working on now? What will you be working on? Um, more of the same, just trying to trying to get better, you know, trying to understand, you know, trying to reach the goals that I want to reach and and um, play with as many different people as I can in, in as many different situations as I can. Both here and wherever. Wherever. It doesn't matter. Have drums, we'll travel. Oh yeah. Well, how often do you end up having to lug all that stuff around? Well, luckily, um, I have stuff hidden everywhere. You know, I have a drum set on the island, and I have one in down in Florida. I've got one in New Jersey. I can use the ones in oh, California. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got some in California. <laughs> well, that's where the company is <laughs> that I'm with, so mm -hmm. I should be good to go in California. Do you have engagements out in California from time to time? I, you know, I've done the NAM show out there. And tell us what that is. Uh, it's um, it's basically what happens is all the music um, instrument companies they get together once a year to put out their new product lines and to try to. It's basically it used to be for the for the retailers to meet the companies and and buy and stock their stores for the coming year with the new products and with the endorsement deals I had worked out, I was able to go out there representing the companies that I was, you know, that I was endorsing. And, and it was really kind of a neat experience. It's, it's out at the um, Anaheim Convention Center in California. And I mean, it is a massive building and it's filled with all of the brand newest, greatest gear that's going to be hitting the market that year. And you get a chance to do the demonstrations for the companies that you're with and you get to play in front of the retailers and the different people over the years it's become a little bit more of a um, um more fans are showing up to it now which is kind of different i haven't been in a few years because it's just in a time of year i just it's always in a weird time of year for me everything's weird for me <laughs> time, time of year. but i mean when i when i did go out there that was a lot of fun how, I mean, this just hit me now, how far ahead of time do you know that you're going to be playing in New York or Boston or wherever it happens to be? It can vary. It can be um, a month. It can be two months. It can be a week. You know, I mean, like I said, I've, I've gotten a phone call and went to the next boat. You know, it does it to me, it, uh, it doesn't matter. It's all part of the challenge. It's all part of the fun of it. And if you don't have an engagement for three days or two weeks or whatever, I assume you're practicing almost every day. Every day. Is that a nine to five kind of thing? Do you always start at the same time of the day or is it? No, it's, uh, it's actually all throughout the day. It's at different points in the day. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll sit down. I usually do my most serious uh, practicing would probably be in the early evening. You know, that's when I would actually sit down. But, you know, during the day, I'll sit down in front of a drum pad for, you know, 20, 30 minutes and just try to keep the rudiments going and the real basics, keep the hands all nice and limber. And then if I have something I'm working on for myself or for a friend or for a client or if I'm trying to do, you know, anything, it's usually at night. You know, that's when I throw the headphones on and turn on all the equipment and start playing. Uh, drumming is a very physical activity, obviously. Do you do exercises to keep yourself in shape? I walk quite a bit because I, I figured the lower the lower impact the better. Because drumming can be kind of a high impact sport depending on how, how you're doing it. 
And do, I, do you stretch to keep your shoulders flexible and that sort of there's thing? Diff Before I play, um, usually what I will do is a few hand exercises. Um, I don't really do anything with my legs, you know, unless I'm playing some really fast music where I've got to play really fast. Then I'll probably, you know, stretch my legs out a little bit. But for the most part, it's all, with me, it's all just hands. Just get the hands, you know, wake the hands up. Because so much happens with your hands, you know, it's like you're, you know, you're not just holding sticks and banging away. I mean, your fingers are gone, the whole thing. So it's, you know, it's not just smashing like a gorilla. No, it's I not. I thought it was. Because <laughs> I, I said, I got that handled. If it was just smashing like a gorilla, I'm good. I'm good. But it wasn't. And it wasn't until later on that I started to realize that, you know, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. And when I started to become a student of it, it's it's incredible. I, I don't I don't think I set very lofty goals for myself and, and I hope I can at least attain part of it. Well you obviously have, or you wouldn't have been doing this for so many and years. I don't even so think successful. Of, and I don't even think about it. I just it's to me it's the it's the next thing. It's it's you know, I gotta do this next thing. Mm -hmm. So it's always, you know, hey, you played on so and so's record. Yeah, yeah, oh that was great. I don't remember. I just I'm going for the next thing, man. It's, I got to get to the next plateau. Kenny, thank you for doing this. Thanks for uh, having this, me, Charlie. This was, has been wonderful. It's been fun. Uh, I mean, you know my interest in music. There's nothing I enjoy more than hearing a musician talk about yes about what he does, what yes. he's done, how he does it. So yeah. this is uh, uh, a, a thrill for me, and, and hopefully for, me for as the well. audience as well. Yeah, for me as well, and a lot of people, you know. It, that'll see this probably don't know that you were partly responsible for what this drumming thing that I did, you know? Well, you were responsible for keeping me in business so I could, <laughs> so I could help you do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'd say I miss those days. That was so much fun. It, uh, thank you. It, uh, yeah. It's been 16 years. Wow. Yeah. Long time. Yeah, yeah. That's all right though. When they, you know, when we do this again, We'll yes. be able to we'll be able to talk some more business. That's right. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I had a great time. And I, I I really thank you for having me and I thank the station for having me. This is great. Our pleasure, I assure you. Great. For Channel 18, Nantucket Community Television, this is Charlie Walters on Profiles. Thank you for tuning in. And before you see the credits, we're going to show you a short clip of Kenny playing the drums. Thanks again for tuning in. Thank <laughs> you.